0: I plan out my sermons uh, uh, far ahead of when I even begin to uh, prepare them in in terms of passages and and where I'm going, but typically I uh, start on the next week's sermon on uh, Sunday afternoon when I get home, and as I was beginning to work on... uh, this passage, I began to ask myself uh, a a question, and that is, uh, for those that I would be speaking to this week, uh, I wonder if there is anyone in this room, I'm not asking for a show of hands, anyone in this room that doesn't want to please God. Now, I suspect there may be, uh, because our, our crowd is always a, a mix of, of people at different places in their spiritual walk, some with no spiritual walk at all, and, and we're glad that you're here. But I also imagine that if pressed, and if given the alternative, most people would say, yes, I, I think I would like to... Please God? Well, this passage before us today, uh, and we're going to be focusing on verses five through eight, but I'm going to read you a little bit of the context so we can keep the flow of the passage. But this passage talks about uh, that very thing. and that is uh, that which is pleasing to God and that which is not pleasing. So let's uh, give our attention and see what this passage tells us. There is therefore now no condemnation, this is verse 1 of chapter 8 of Romans, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask in these moments, we, we would ask for you to bring, even as we spoke of earlier, absolute clarity. Uh, we may be kidding ourselves in terms of where we are with, with you, Or we may not be kidding ourselves, but may be satisfied with being far from you. But, Lord, will you stir up within us that which is necessary to respond to you as you call to us? Only you can enable that. And so we would ask for this in Jesus precious name. Amen. we've We've already noted that um, we are headed in that's all right, <laughs> thanks, Mark. We are headed into a uh, an election season, and uh, of course, like everybody else, I was thinking about that as well, and I, I figured out that this is uh, going to be actually the 11th presidential election that I've voted in. Don't worry about doing the math, you people, you know. <laughs> And and some of you have voted in a lot more than me, I would just note. Uh, So I voted in ten, and I'm actually five and five. So this year's the (laughs) tiebreaker, one way or the other. It's the tiebreaker. And, you know... Every year is contentious, but I think most of us would agree that this is, this is something else. This is, this is a different kind of, of year. And one of the things that I've seen, and, and, you know, and there's always turmoil over candidates and, and so on, Uh, but I'm not sure I've ever seen one this contentious, and I'm not sure I've seen so many people who were planning to vote in such a crisis of conscience. And then the other thing that I've I've noticed, and, and this isn't that untypical, but... That is that when accusations come out against uh, the candidates, which is what this has been characterized by, right? When an accusation comes out, those on the different sides look at those same accusations and interpret them Completely different. They look at the same things and generally come to exact opposite conclusions. Now, I I get it, but I'm going to be really happy when this season is over. So that's the biggest amen of the day, right? I don't know why I start on Sunday afternoon when that's all it takes. Uh. Well, in this passage, and we are going somewhere with this, in this passage we see the Apostle Paul addressing basically two groups of people. Not political parties. But he is saying that these two groups are so different that there is a fixed gulf between them. And even if you uh, pretend... You know, if you're in one but you pretend like you're in the other, you can't cross over. That gulf is fixed. And there's only one way to change that. And that is which side that you are on. And Paul is making it abundantly clear to the people in Rome and to everyone else who ever read that letter, including us, that there is no neutral ground. There is no in-between. To be apathetic is to make a choice. To make no choice is to make a choice. And, And so he addresses what I am calling these two uh, worldviews. And he, he talks about, uh, he doesn't use this phrase, a, a fleshly worldview. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Now, where did that come from? In the, in the flow of, of this book of Romans, where, why does he you know, even address something like that. Well, one of the reasons, I have no doubt, one of the reasons is because the secular philosophers in uh, Paul's day would say, look, our flesh is one thing, and when they talked about the flesh, they were talking about our, our physical bodies and desires that have to do with the body and so on. Our flesh is one thing, and then our spiritual side is something totally different. And some of them would say they are so separate that, yes, we need to be concerned about the spiritual side, but because our our flesh is something that will die and we will leave behind, we can do whatever we want in the flesh. That was what some of the philosophers were teaching in that day. And that's one reason we see such the, the kind of activities that were going on in Rome because they didn't, didn't put an accountability with their actions. They said, oh, that's just the, the flesh. That's just the body. And the body is temporary. And they saw the body is bad and the spirit is good. When Paul talks about the flesh here, He's not defining it the way they define it as uh, just muscle and skin and and bone. When he talks about the flesh, he's he's talking about our humanness, being a human. And what goes with that, which he had already defined earlier in Romans, and that is that, uh, and we, we spoke of earlier today in our worship, that What goes with being human, remember, with Adam, as our federal head, as our representative, sin came into the world. And so what goes with being human is this. Absolute corruption. Sin and corruption. And so that's what he's he's talking about it. When he says the flesh, he is talking about our sin-dominated self. Martin Luther, who we, we spoke of earlier as the, the great reformer, loved to describe our fallen human nature as deeply curved in on itself. I think that's pretty vivid, I think. And, and I, I look at that as kind of collapsing on itself itself. That's what our our human nature is like. Paul gives a new perspective on the reality of rather than being obsessed with one's own ways as having the Holy Spirit active in one's life. Now, I'm I'm using the term worldview, which is exactly the way it sounds. (coughs) It is the way... We view the world. It is, it's like putting on a, you know, a, a pair of glasses and it is through those glasses, through those lenses that we view the world. And here he's saying there's basically two different worldviews. And this first one is the fleshly worldview or living according to the flesh. And then he goes on to describe it and this is parallel Uh, but opposite of uh, living in the Spirit. But he talks about setting our mind on it, verse 5. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, again, what would Paul be talking about? That's dwelling on the things of this fallen world, thinking like them, having desires uh, like them. Hating the things the fallen world hates and loving the things the fallen world loves. He's saying that's, that's in essence the one side. He describes it over in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 as the man without the spirit, so that would be the, the fleshly, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness. Him and he cannot understand them. Now, notice that last phrase. The the mindset of a fleshly worldview sees the things of God as, as foolish and you just can't understand them. It is likely that today. Uh, on your way to church, you passed neighbors. All mine were asleep when I passed them. (laughs) But you passed neighbors that had made a decision. And they had decided that there, there is something way more important than to be in worship at a church today. Now that might be Washing their car. It might be sleeping in, going to brunch, working in their yard. But to them, what you did by coming here and it is foolishness. Now they might not call you a fool. But by their choice, that's basically what they're saying. That's what they're, they're, they're thinking. It's foolishness. I don't get it. Why, why would anyone want to take up a whole Sunday morning with whatever goes on inside the walls of churches? Now, they, they probably wouldn't call you foolish. And really, they may not even care what you're doing. But Paul says it's actually more than just not caring about God. It's something way worse. It's actually, according to his words, hostility to God. Verse 7. For the, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember what we talked about earlier? Pleasing God? Now, your neighbors probably, all those that you passed, probably weren't necessarily consciously, you know, last night saying, I'm hostile to God. There are people like that. But they, they probably weren't thinking, I'm hostile to God, so, so I'm not going go to go to church tomorrow. It may have just been, I, I don't care anything about it. But Paul is saying there isn't a neutral position when you're following the flesh, it is showing hostility to God. And to show hostility to God makes you an enemy of God. And that's a dangerous place to be. So when it comes to God, if you choose to have, an, uh, have a fallen world uh, worldview, you're showing yourself to be hostile to God, against God. No, I just don't care anything about his way. Paul leaves no room for being neutral or apathetic, but basically says to not choose to walk in the Spirit means you have chosen to be an enemy of God. And, and there's something even, even more shocking and that's this. We need to understand enemies of God don't survive. Look at verse 6. It results in death. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Now, John Stott says the mindset of, of flesh-dominated people is is already one of spiritual death and leads inevitably to eternal death. And by the way, that's not ceasing to exist. That'd be easier. We will all exist forever. But eternal death is existence in the absence of the only thing good in the universe, and that's God Himself. He goes on to say, for it alienates them from God and renders fellowship with him impossible either in this world or the next. Now, if that hadn't been clear enough, over in Galatians 5, to clarify uh, what this worldview is characterized by, uh, this is what Paul says. Now, the works of the flesh, fleshly worldview, are evident Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And that's the key there. doesn't have to, this isn't a, an exhaustive list. It says things like these. and Things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the death that Paul speaks of. And I, I wanted to save this list because I didn't, I didn't want to give the impression that it's just about, well, if I don't do those things, I'm good. Or if I do good things, then I'm okay. Okay. These are things that will ultimately come out when one is walking in the spirit. But, but don't kid yourself. Some of those neighbors that you passed that want to walk in the flesh, they may be very moral. They may not be guilty of any of these things outwardly. And that's the scary part. That's the death that Paul speaks of. These are just examples of actions for those who have fallen into a a worldly or fleshly worldview. Now, let's look at the contrast then. That's the one side, the one worldview. The other one is a worldview from the Holy Spirit, verse 5. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Again, Galatians 5 shows the contrast of walking in the flesh. It it lists all those things that can come out of that kind of a life. (coughs) He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See how parallel this is with what we've seen in Romans? And then he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So how do we keep in step with the Spirit? As opposed to walking in the flesh. Again, here's the parallel part setting their minds on the things of the Spirit, verse 5. Over in Galatians 5, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, that's the negative, but the positive are the fruit of the Spirit that I mentioned earlier, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. Now, again, that's not a list of dues. Do these things and you will be saved. But this is fruit that comes out of one who is walking in the Spirit. That's the idea here. It's what a believer is characterized by. Walking in the the Spirit is absolutely determining that truth comes from the Scripture and not my feelings. Even our conscience, even the conscience of a believer who is indwelt by the Spirit should not be our final guide because we can be fooled by our own conscience. But the Word of God is firm and it stays the same and it doesn't go up and down with our Our feelings or our difficulties, it stays the same. So that ultimately has to be our our foundation. God's will isn't determined by what will get me ahead in this life, but by what God wants me to do. And often that's going to go contrary to what everyone around you is saying because the flesh is not the authority, the Holy Spirit is. Now let's look further at how Paul describes it. He he mentions two things. One is life, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So our worldview, our beliefs, have eternal consequences. These are not just things that affect this life. They do affect this life. But they affect our entire eternity. Being alive to God, to the Spirit and His realities. So our mind, where we set it, will play a role, not only in how we act in this life, but in our final destiny. Where we'll spend eternity. And then he mentions peace, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, I want to. We, there's peace in two different levels. We've seen earlier in Romans, in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he is saying that if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, in what he did on the cross to pay for your sins. If you're trusting in that, then no matter what is going on in your life, you can know I've got peace with God. And then the other, that's the the vertical. The other is the horizontal that we'll get to in Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another peace with one another because of our peace with God. Now, I'm convinced that all mankind is in search of life and peace, and that's in contrast to a life of sin. But those outside of Christ are restless may not even feel that way. They may have uh, fooled themselves to where they think they are at peace. But there's a restlessness. Isaiah 57 verse 20 gives what I think is just a vivid description. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. If If you've ever Seeing the the ocean, there's certain places where it's very, very calm, other places where it seems to always be churning, or after a storm like we had recently. If you look at the ocean, what do you see? Well, things come up from the bottom. There's things floating. There's stuff left behind. It's churning. It's dangerous. And Isaiah says, that's the unbeliever right there. That's the one who is outside of Christ. There's always something churning inside, whether they know it or feel it or not. And there's something missing. Now the reality is in our world, uh, the pursuit of life and peace may look very different for some people because for some people it is uh, pursuit of religion. I want to. I want to try to do good things so I can please God. What could be wrong with that? Well, it will keep one churning because you will never know if you've done enough, and the reality is you can't do enough, and that's the problem. Or for some, it's it's going to war to to make those people believe like we believe or make that land my land. And and they're somehow pursuing life by bringing about death. If I'm right that all mankind is ultimately in a search of life and peace, and if you would begin to look at people believing that it'll do several things one thing it'll do is it will give you more tolerance for people's misguided attempts it, it'll help you and instead of hating that person that is doing something in their feeble attempt to reach God it will give you a tolerance and a compassion for that person. But secondly, it it will give you more incentive to share what you have by grace been given. And thirdly, it will make you even more thankful as you see the contrast. And it will drive you to worship even more and to gratitude. This week I, I saw firsthand contrast between the two worldviews. You don't have to look far to see it. But let me describe what I saw. You know, there are a lot of people, even, even believers, that if they if they get word that they've got some kind of a, a, a disease or an illness, that they, they begin to talk and act like, this is the worst possible thing that could happen in my life. And you know what? That's really the fleshly way to look at things. I was in a meeting where uh, various people were uh, telling what's been going on in their life. And and, uh, there was one man there who had, uh, probably a year and a half ago, been told, you have a very short time to live, maybe a couple of months. And lots of people prayed for him. He got treatments, and he was sharing uh, about it. But, but he wasn't just saying, I'm glad I'm still alive, because that was the worst thing that could have happened to me when I, when I got sick. Instead, this is what he said. If you haven't experienced a sickness or a trauma that is truly life-threatening, you've missed out. He said, I experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit during those times in such a way, and you, he, the way he said it, he said, I can't even describe it. He said it was, I assume, just a taste of what heaven will be like. And he said, my wife, whenever I say this, she wants to slap me. But uh, but he said, as I started to get better, I almost wished I was back in the middle of that because of how conscious I was of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the question. Who would say that? What would possess someone to say that who had nearly died And that's really the right question. What possessed him was God's Holy Spirit that was dwelling within him. That was nothing like living in the flesh saying, I've got to scrape for every ounce of life as if this is all there is but rather enjoying the presence of God's Spirit in the depths of the trial that he was going through. Augustine said this, Thou hast made for us yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Only in Christ do we, can we find the answer to that restlessness, which is peace and life. And we find that only when the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit only dwells within those who are in union with Christ by trusting in Him alone for their eternal life. Only there is life and peace. Only then can we walk in the Spirit. Only then can we get out of the vicious cycle that we studied in Romans 7 of not doing the things that that I want to do, and doing everything that I don't want to do. It's only the presence of the Spirit that can give us peace as opposed to that bondage. And that is pleasing to God. Let's bow together. Lord, if we are restless inside, will you show that to us? And if if we are needlessly restless because we are trusting in Christ, will you give us your peace? And if we are rightfully restless because we don't have a relationship with you through Christ, will you show us that as well and then Give us that absolute longing to have a relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.